Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. We're going to um, be looking together at Matthew 26, beginning in verse 30, and continuing through verse... 46, Matthew 26, 30 through 46. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, even though all of you may fall away, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He went a little beyond and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying. You may not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit your word to our hearts through you. We know, Father, that without the Spirit, it will fall on hard hearts and unhearing ears. But, Father, use me and give us hearts and ears that hear and understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if we could see beyond the stars with eyes that pierce the hidden things of God. If we've been listening to the book of Matthew and the teaching of Christ contained in it, we would understand that there is a line that runs through the church, through the kingdom of Christ on earth. A line that separates father from mother, sister from brother, 
sister from sister, brother from brother, grandfather from grandchild, grandmother from grandfather. A line that wends its way through this congregation, invisibly to our eyes, but very clearly to the eyes of God, and demarcates this group. On one side of it stand one group, on one side of it stand another. The line is a line that separates those who will endure or persevere from those who will not. It is the line that separated those who were the five virgins who brought enough oil from the five who did not. It is the line that separated the Pharisee in the temple who said, I thank you that I'm not like other men in the tax collector of Jesus' story. It is the line that separated the, the two slaves who made a profit from their talent from the one who did not, who buried it. It is the line that separates the seed that fell on good soil from the seed on the path in the rocky ground and the weed-infested ground. It's the line that separates sheep from goats. We would see this line if we had the vision of God. Those who endure and those who will not. Those who persevere and those who will not. In our passage this morning, it's clear that there is one who will persevere and many who will not. And this is in a temporary way. It's in the next few days, but Christ will persevere on his, his, on his way to Calvary. Not my will, but thine. Take this cup from me, Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. I am deeply grieved to the point of death, but not my will. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If this cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Three different times he prays to the Father and says, let it go, let it pass, but not my will. Christ endures, but those who surround him are, are incapable at this point of endurance. We have here in this passage a striking picture of that which is possible in the life of man without the power of the new birth, without the power of God invading us and making us new creations. These things that we're reading of take place the night of the Last Supper. Judas has departed. He's no longer in the upper room. Christ's warning that all the disciples will fall away, specifically Peter, but all of them, with Peter's denial of that warning, and Jesus' prayer in the Garden 
of Gethsemane are all the things that take place this evening. We're not entirely sure of the order in which they took place. Was Peter's denial of Christ's warning in the upper room or was it in the garden? We don't, we don't know for certain. It's, at least from our passage, it's not certain. And yet what we have in the passage that we've read is two distinct episodes united by a common thread of failure to endure. One is a failure foretold, Peter's and, of course, the others, but primarily we remember Peter, Peter's betrayal of Jesus. The other, the other episode, united by this thread of failure to endure, is an episode that is not foretold but realized, and it's the inability of Peter, James, and John to stay awake and pray as they're asked to do by Jesus. On the verge of Christ's darkest hours, the hardest moments that any man has ever lived, the greatest sacrifice any human being has ever endured, the infinite sacrifice of the Son of God, the Holy perfect son of God becoming sin in the eyes of the father so that the punishment that's due us can be laid on him is about to take place and as it is imminent the disciples are incapable of endurance they will not and they do not persevere yet perseverance is a duty and a mark of the true Christian life Perseverance is what separates the sheep from the goats, the five wise from the five foolish, the good soil from the bad soil. Perseverance, staying until the end. There's a cost to perseverance. James acknowledges it when he writes, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved by persevering under trial, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life comes to those who persevere. Those who persevere under trial are those, according to James, who love Jesus. Ultimately, that perseverance is the very basis of our of our being rejected or embraced. It is the test of our knowing Christ as our Savior. Jesus himself has already said twice in this gospel, and you will remember it, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. That line is running. And it's a line of perseverance. Those who will endure, those who will not. If we could see beyond the stars, if our eyes could pierce the hidden things of God, we would understand that that line is here separating invisibly into two camps. Those who persevere and those who do not, the entire story of Scripture. The book of Judges is a story of those who would persevere and those who would not persevere. Alternating back and forth. From perseverance to failure, perseverance to falling away, 
perseverance to sin and defection. Perseverance is what separates King Saul from King David. Perseverance is what separated Cain, who God warned Satan was crouching at his heels and he must master temptation from Abel, who was approved by God. Perseverance separated Esau from Jacob. Esau could not persevere. He would sell his birthright, and Jacob did. Perseverance, at least in human terms, I know what Hebrews says about Lot, but perseverance separates Lot from Abraham. What a wretched life the life of Lot was. And what glory in the perseverance and the hard perseverance of Abraham. Perseverance is what separates Judas, ultimately, from the other disciples. Perseverance is what separated John Mark from Paul. And when Paul saw that John Mark would not persevere, he said, we have no use for him. Send him back, causing the separation with Barnabas. Ultimately, God did bring the disciples and John Mark to persevere. Perseverance is the difference between Absalom and Solomon, between Dathan and Abiram and Moses. So I want to speak to you about what you as a as a person sitting in church this morning. You as a person who professes the name of Jesus Christ, which I believe most of you do. What you can do in your flesh and what is impossible for you to do. And as we speak about it, the contours of this line are not going to become physically evident, but I hope to some of you they may become evident in your own heart and mind and you may recognize which side of this line that wends its way through here you stand upon. So Jesus says that the disciples are going to, and he's quoting the words of Scripture, are going to have their shepherd struck and the sheep will be scattered. With their shepherd struck, we see the power of the disciples. They cannot stand against sin. They cannot stand against temptation from Satan. They are weak when their spirit is willing, their flesh is weak. When their flesh is willing, their spirit is weak. They cannot at this time persevere. Though they proclaim themselves capable of perseverance, they do not persevere. Their proclamation is at odds with their life. They cannot do what they say they're going to do. This is a mark. We say we are something, but we cannot live it. We cannot do it. This is the disciples at this point in their life. Jesus warns the disciples he'll be struck down this very night, and in consequence of it, all of them are going to be scattered. He is their shepherd. He is the one who sustains and maintains them. He goes down. They fall apart. Jesus says, this is going to happen. 
After he is raised, after the resurrection, Jesus adds, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. And he's promising that he'll be gathering them back together under him. But it is the devil's moment in the devil's men right now. Christ is going to be struck and the disciples are going to be scattered. Now, of course, Peter says, no, no, never. Everyone else may fall away, but I'm not going to do it, Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, oh, truly I say to you this very night you're going to deny me three times. Jesus, being the gentleman he is, lets Peter have the last word. Peter's adamant. Even if I had to die with you, I would not deny you. And the rest chime in as well, saying, yeah, we wouldn't. We'll die with you, Jesus. We'll die with you. But Jesus sees that line clearly. He understands where it's wending at this point. He understands who will stand with him and who will not. He understands who Satan is asking to winnow and who Satan is, is working within. He understands these things. No matter how committed Peter is to following, he will not and he cannot. Now, Peter is physically willing. At this point, early in the evening, his flesh is willing, but his spirit is weak. A little bit later, Jesus says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Now, how do we know that at this point, his flesh is willing, but his spirit is weak? Well, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, this is the, the Satan's time. Um, before I told you to go out without money, without a purse, without a cloak, without a sword, but now you need to come with money. Now is the time when you need to take your cloak with you. Now is the time you need a sword. And the disciples say, we got two swords. And they go up to the top, across the valley, up to the top, Mount Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. And Peter is wielding his sword. And when the, the Roman soldiers, the crowd with Judas arrive to take Jesus captive, Peter is in the flesh willing. He takes his sword. And he attacks, and he cuts off the ear. He's going for a, a head blow with a sword, somehow deflected. He's going to kill Malchus, the high priest's servant. Cuts off his ear. You know if he's going for the ear, he's going for the head, for the neck, the jugular. He's willing physically. He's willing physically. His will physically is ironclad. He's convinced that just as he cut that ear, he will stand for Jesus come what may. Yet hours later, he betrays Jesus, denying he knows him three times in the high priest's courtyard. You can say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm committed to you. And you may not have assurance of perseverance. You may not have the endurance to stand until the end. Peter says, I've got the will, follows it up with action, but in the clutch, the test, the hour of trial, the crucible, a few hours later in the high priest's courtyard, he cannot and he does not stand. Now, the same thing is found in 
a different sense, but the same failure to endure by the disciples who accompanied Jesus into the garden to pray, which include Peter, but to others as well, James and John. These are the closest friends of Christ. They've been with him at moments when the other disciples were not, like the, the transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was accompanied by Moses and Elijah and glowed with the, the glory of heaven, the light of heaven shining from his face. They were there with him. They heard that voice from on high say, as Jesus was shining in their midst and accompanied by the worshipful Moses and Elijah, say, this is my beloved son, the voice of heaven. Oh, this is my beloved son. Listen to it. They've been told by God to listen. And they say, we will, we do. But they don't. He asks them to pray and they drowse. He is in the garden anticipating his death, sweating blood in his agony, and they snore. He asks them to keep watch with him, and they close their eyes. He is sorely troubled, and they are sound asleep. The opposite of the problem of Peter in the high priest's courtyard is what they face here. There, Peter's flesh is willing. He had taken his sword. He follows Jesus. His flesh is strong, but his, his fear overwhelms it, and his spirit is weak. Here, all three want to follow. They want to obey. They want to accompany Jesus in this hour of trial, but their flesh is weak. They are just too tired to watch and pray. Their flesh will not permit it. So when the spirit is strong and willing, the flesh betrays it. When the flesh is strong and willing, the spirit is weak. This is the halfway perseverance of the disciples. This is all they are capable of. And halfway perseverance is not perseverance. So you may be saying to yourself, what are you saying about the disciples? Are you saying they're not saved at this point? Are you saying that they're not truly Christians? Are you saying that they're not redeemed and born again? I only say what Jesus says. He who endures to the end will be saved. I only say what Scripture shows us, that these men at this point fail over and over, and it's been a story of failure for three years. They are the chosen ones, but they fail and fail and fail. Clearly, Christ has found their faith deficient. He says so over and over again in their time with him. He says, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith, why do you not believe? It changes after the resurrection. Clearly, they can't stand up to trial on this day in the way that they're going to in days to come. Clearly, they are still in their flesh, seekers of their own glory at this point. It's just a few days since they're arguing about who of them was going to be greatest in a way that they do not, only a few days hence. Clearly, they have been stumbling blocks in Jesus' view and agents of Satan in these days. Jesus said to Peter when he said, you shall not die, just eight chapters back in Matthew, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me for you're not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. Are these men saved? Are they born again? Are they new creatures in Christ? We don't know. 
but certainly there's cause to doubt in a way that there isn't just a few weeks from now. Something changes. And they go from failure to persevere to enduring. And they endure for decades and they die triumphantly. Perseverance is what you lack. Perseverance is what's missing in our lives. We say to ourselves, I'm not going to do that ever again. We resolve good resolves. And three days later, we've forgotten the resolves. We are right back in the grips of the temptation and the sin that have gripped us and that we have repented of over and over again for decades. We are worldly when we wish we were godly. We return to sins like a dog to its vomit despite our best resolutions not to. We try and fail. We are weak. We take two steps forward and we fall back three. We do not progress. Like seed that falls on the weed-infested ground, we're content just to be here, bearing no fruit not progressing. Perseverance for us is looking the part because we do not act it. It's a perseverance in appearance rather than fact. We have to be satisfied with outward appearance because the inward reality is not found in us. We see perseverance and endurance in others. We see power. We see new life, sins defeated, joy, but for many of us, we don't have it. Now at some point, the disciples gained the power to endure, to stand up to trial. At some point, they received the power to persevere, and they gained the confidence of the new life in Christ. They live as those who have been born again to a new and living hope. But here, it's missing. Days from now, the latest at Pentecost, there's no longer any question at all. But here, it's still a hope, not a reality. They're going to soon be scattered, fall away. They will not stand. They will not be there with Christ in his torment. They will not be there with Christ at his trial. They will not be there with Christ at his crucifixion. They lack the power in their wills and in their flesh to endure. Now, this is you if you are not born again. Great intentions, strong resolutions, real guilt, but no change. The failure to persevere. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Our flesh is willing, but our spirit is weak. We set out and we say, Christ, I'll follow you anywhere. But then he says, then give up your money. And we say, well, I don't want to go to that country. We set out to pray and we say, I'm going to be a praying man or a praying woman. But even as we are in the throes of commitment, our initial commitment, our minds begin to wander. And in days to come, our prayer life falters and we're back where we were. 
like the rich young ruler. We're resolved to follow Jesus. We want to inherit eternal life. But we love the things of this world too much. We fear the things that the world can do to us too much to give them up. We are mastered by the world, by desire, by fear. Mastered and rendered ineffective. And made those who do not persevere. We want to escape sin, sexual sin but like Augustine with his sexual immorality we say Lord give me victory but tomorrow this is us we may be seen like these disciples as followers of Jesus but we are not endurers we are followers but we do not persevere the sins that scripture says you cannot commit and enter heaven we do over and over again they're our daily bread we lust we worship idols by looking at pornography we are grieved over our sin we say i'm not going to do it anymore but a month a year three years later we're right back where we began at the altar of false gods we say we'll do better in loving our husband we commit to having a better marriage as husbands. We are selfish. We will not, as wives, participate in the obligations of marital love. We're tired. We deny our husbands. He's unkind. We're peeved, and so we go to bed and ignore him. As husbands, we will not be kind and gracious to our wives. We will not sacrifice for them. We expect them to sacrifice for us. And we think, well, this is just my marriage. No, it's not. It's your life. It's your perseverance as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We give vent to our anger. We say we'll do better, but we don't. Caustic tempers flare. They flare again. They burn our families. They burn our friends. They burn our lives. They burn with the fire of hell. And yet we're kind of proud of it. Yeah, I got a little bit of a temper. We say we will follow Jesus. We call him Lord. But we love our family, ourselves, our pride, our money, our position in life more than him. We try. We do. We set out. And we fail. Discipleship for much of the human race is a story of failure to persevere. This, my friends, is all that you can do if you are not born again. The best you can do. You can be a Simon Peter, you can talk a good talk. You can be a Simon Peter and fight a good fight for the moment. You can chop off an ear for Christ. You can speak the name of Christ. You can promise to be faithful. But you will not persevere. So we turn from this to what will soon happen with the disciples. Because the story of the disciples, you all know, is not this. For Judas, it ends here. It's already ended, but not for these men. It's clear that the disciples can start out, can desire to follow, even go through spasms of obedience and sacrifice in themselves. You and I can do that in ourselves as well, without enduring. Something more is required. Something must happen in these men 
that can only be done by the Spirit of God by the work of Jesus Christ. And in a few short days, this will clearly have happened in the lives of these men. By the time of Christ's ascension, his rising up into heaven, well before Pentecost, the disciples are on fire with a flame that will last for the rest of their lives. Pentecost actually burnishes that flame, but it doesn't ignite it. What transforms the disciples? Well, the answer is clear. We're not there yet, but they come face to face with the risen Jesus Christ. Encountering Jesus risen from the dead, these men are changed and forever. So if you have not encountered the risen Christ, you will not persevere. But if you have encountered the risen Christ and come to know him as the risen Savior of mankind, you will persevere. These men each come face to face with Jesus. And when they do, after his death, they see, they grasp, and embrace certain things they did not before. And in the process of embracing these things that previously they had not seen or were blind to, they become new men. If they were not born again before the resurrection, in most cases I don't think they were, they most certainly are after they see the risen Jesus. Seeing the risen Jesus changed Peter. Seeing Jesus risen from the dead was the single most dramatic thing to happen in his entire life of drama and glory. Seeing the risen Jesus transformed all the disciples. The best example, Thomas, the skeptic, the doubter, to whom Jesus said after he was risen, when Thomas had said, I'm not going to see unless I put my finger in his side. Jesus comes into the upper room where the disciples are gathered. He walks through the door with his new body. He doesn't open it. He walks through it and he says to Thomas, all right, Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. But it's not just the physical sight of Jesus that transforms. You don't need to see him physically to understand what Thomas understands. When Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus responds, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. You are not going to see the risen Christ, but you are blessed for believing what Thomas believed having seen. Two things you must see with your eyes of faith. Two things you must see with eyes that, that penetrate beyond the stars. Eyes that see the hidden things of God to experience the new birth. You must see Jesus as dead, and you must see him as alive. Now, there is a sequential order to these things, and then there's a transformative order, and they're different. Sequentially, Jesus dies before he's raised. Death precedes resurrection. But the transformative vision of faith that will change you forever and that changes the disciples forever is not seeing Jesus dead and then Jesus alive, but it's seeing Jesus alive because they see him. They see him outside the tomb. They see him in the upper room. They see him 
in places, seeing him alive in his heavenly glory, and then recognizing that this, through the marks in his hands and his side, is the Jesus who died. So the sequence is Jesus dies, they see that. The temporal sequence, he's alive. But what brings them to life is to see the glorious Jesus and then to recognize that this one who is alive has the marks of the cross on him and that is the vision that gives them eternal life. Paul is on the road to Damascus when this thing happens to him. He was traveling, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Sees a great light, sees a great glory, hears a tremendous heavenly voice. Sees, he says, Jesus Christ himself. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Saul knows that this is the voice of the Lord. He says, who are you, Lord? There's radiance and glory. There's greatness, he says. Who are you, Lord? He falls down. He understands that this is the Lord. But he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What he does not know until that moment is that this God whose glory he has just seen, this God whose voice he has heard, this God is the Jesus he has been persecuting, the Jesus his friends had crucified. He sees Jesus first as God, and then he sees him as crucified. And it's that recognition that changes him. Same with Thomas. He sees Jesus come through the closed door of the upper room. He understands that this is a marvelous being filled with power. But then he's not there yet. Jesus says, put your hand in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. He couldn't deny the divine being before him. But what he needed to understand, what he needed eyes of faith to grasp is that this divine being is the Jesus who died. And at that point, he understands, he shudders with shame, and he says, my Lord and my God. Same pattern seen in Zechariah's prophecy of the end times. Speaking for God, Zechariah says, I will pour out, pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. According to Zechariah, at the end of the times, when all the nations have gathered against God's people, the Lord will arise to defend his people. And then, not just God's people, but the entire earth will see the glory of God in Christ and understand that this one who has arisen in glory to defend his people is the one whom they had pierced. And they will mourn and weep bitterly over him. You must, with eyes of faith, first see Christ risen in power. You must see him, the Son of God, the glorious Son of the Heavenly Father. 
disciples had seen this. But you, as the disciples, must go beyond the glory of Jesus to see his wounds. You must look at Jesus, the glorious Son of God, and understand that in his death on Calvary, he was dying your death, taking on himself the sins that you have persevered in, suffering under the wrath of God for all the sins of your life and mine. You must look at Jesus, glorious, wonderful, and see the, the holes in his hands, the spear marks in his side, the holes in his feet, and say, he died. He died for me. And when you see that, you'll be dismayed. You'll mourn for him. You'll be humbled and cast down. And you will be lifted up because you'll grasp what the prophet Isaiah says of Jesus. Surely our griefs he himself bore. This glorious Lamb of God, the great God, the Son. Our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Endurance is found in your coming to terms with the death of Jesus Christ for you. Perseverance is found in the blood of Jesus Christ for you. Endurance and perseverance only come to those who see the glorious Son of God dying on their behalf so that they may become together with him sons of God. Are you a son of God? Have you been born again? Do you know that your sins have been carried by this wonderful Savior? Do you look to him in love because he died for you? Have you asked Jesus to carry your sins, to bear your sorrows? Have you asked him to, to stand before the Father and claim you? If you don't see Jesus in this light, you're operating under human strength. You must pray that God will give you eyes of faith so that you look at Jesus and in him you see what you deserve and you're grateful. You love him and you throw yourself at his feet in repentance. Jesus invites you along with Thomas Look at my hands, look at my side. Understand me. Understand and persevere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for its glorious power, and we thank you for this glorious son of yours who persevered to the end, Father, so that we could be failures but then lifted up and persevere ourselves. 
Thank you for carrying our sin, Christ. Now, Father, I pray that everyone in this room may be included on the right side of that line that divides all men for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.